Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We know the last few months have been, to say the least, a learning curve. From teaching your kids at home, to figuring out video conferences, or even remembering the right way to go down aisles. We had a lot to learn, and our dealership did too. After all, our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy for our customers. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to CMA's ColonialHonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. And don't worry, we're always here to answer questions. If you'd like to complete it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we can virtually walk you through it. Or you can take any of these steps in the dealership if that's more comfortable for you. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit CMA's ColonialHonda.com. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Sports King Show, live on Sports 106.1. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. And good morning, everyone. Thank you, Big Al. Sports phone, Big Al, 8 to 10. I would love that show. He does such a great job alongside Ben Maitland on the Sports King, Jamie King. Friday morning, so excited to be with you. Woo! I hope you're having a great day. Absolutely, woo. How about a little Coach O, please? A little Ed Ogeron this Go morning. Tigers. That's how I'm feeling. Go Tigers, indeed. Ed Ogeron, love him. Can you not get excited for Coach O? That guy gets me fired up every time. Folks, on the show this morning, to start off, Kevin Grevy, the outstanding guard, small forward for the Washington Bullets, world champion Bullets, my favorite team, always, always enjoyable for me to catch up with Kevin. And I'll talk more about our relationship uh, through the years as uh, the morning progresses here. want to let you know, I woke up today, sun is shining you're starting to see the nation coming together. You're seeing great signs. Of course, there's still some bad signs, but you're seeing great signs there. You're seeing a jobs report this morning where the jobs are coming back. You're seeing the stock market up. You're seeing sports finally starting to come back. Basketball is coming back. The NHL is coming back. Football teams are starting to report. We're hearing signs of recovery, folks. This is what I'm talking about. This has me fired up. We've been waiting for signs, waiting for things to happen, and it's slowly starting to happen. Now, is it going to be perfect? Are there going to be missteps? Sure. But we think this is just what the doctor ordered to hear about things we can look forward to. And I'm talking to you, Major League Baseball. Don't fall by the wayside because if you refuse to come back over money and don't show up on the national landscape, guess what? There will be diehards that will stay with you, but you're going to turn off the American public to the point where many will just say, I'm done with baseball. I hope that's not the case. The great game in America has a situation now where it's hanging in the balance. So we're going to have to keep our eye on that situation. So, uh, the jobs report, good. Uh, things recovering, sports coming back, and 
Do we have to give all the credit to Kevin Grieve? I think we have to give Kevin Grieve the ha- all the credit here because guess what? He's coming back, and when he comes back, he brings all the sunshine. Joining us from his home, Kevin Grieve, welcome back to the Sports King. Always good to be back with the Kinger, man. How you doing, Jamie? <laughs> hey, man, doing great. Hey, we didn't get a lot of time to talk the other day. You were such high demand, of course, the sad passing of Wes Unseld, and I am so sorry. It's been one heck of a week. Uh, from that aspect for you, losing a dear friend and losing Wes on top of that. And uh, just so many wonderful stories uh, with you and Wes and the things that he meant to you and your teammates. And uh, as this week's uh, progressed, you've had more time to think about it and look back. And I know the athlete, Wes Unseld, you will miss incredibly for all the things he did for you and pick C-Set for you and, and all the advice he gave to you. But the man himself those messages for you will always resonate with you. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, I have a, a symbol of the greatness of West Unself. Every time I put on that world championship ring, I, I think of my teammates. I wouldn't have it if it wasn't collectively a great effort in 1978. It was West, our foundation, our leader, obviously, who, um, uh, engineered that that unbelievable run we had, um, but more than the ring, obviously, are my precious memories of Wes, his family, Connie, his wife, fifty years, Kimberly, and little Wesley. Wesley, his son, is an assistant coach in the NBA, so he's carrying on his dad's legacy in the NBA. And Kimberly is a teacher at the Oh, inner city school, the West Sunseld school. It's uh, kinder, kindergarten through eight in inner city Baltimore. And that's where um, Wes, after his basketball career, put all of his efforts in. So, you know, what an unbelievable guy. I'm going to miss him. I, I, you know, get I would have a chance to visit him at least once a year, drive up to Baltimore and and share some good memories with him, but uh, that won't be. But um, he's certainly in spirit with all of us for life. Teammates for life, he used to say. You win a championship, you... man. You're not just a teammate. 1978, we're teammates for life. So, yeah, you know, like the like cool. Bill Parcells said to the Giants when they won it, he said, this is something they'll never take away from you. You'll always be a champion and you guys will always be champions. Let me ask you, could you let us in maybe on one story or one funny story that uh, when all those times you met with Wes, something that uh, you laugh about even to this day that you could share with us a story uh, between the two of you? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I have several um, uh, just for the for sake of time, I'll give you. I'll give you uh, a couple of first when I arrived, of course, you know, West played at Louisville and um, I played at Kentucky. And uh, so it's kind of an unlikely marriage of two guys that two schools that don't like one another. I was a little bit concerned about that when I joined uh, up at training <laughs> camp and Wes, um, he, he wouldn't call me by my name. It wasn't Kevin or Grevy. You know, he was very stoic and uh, tough. And so what he did, he would just call me uh, Rook. And then after about three or four days of this, uh, 
I tried to uh, break the ice, and he's and he's like Kentucky Kitty Cats. You couldn't call them Kentucky Wildcats. It's the Kitty Cats. So, you know, it didn't take long after that. Uh, a little ribbing. Uh, things were moving along pretty good, and so um, I learned to find out rookies had to do everything. They had to get the bags, the projector, and after games, Wes would say, "Hey, Greavy." Get some rook. Get some beers out of that fridge. Put them in that ball bag. Um, you know, we got a roadie coming up, and uh, you need to uh, bring him to my room. <laughs> so I'd do that. I'd bring the beers to his room. Um, you know, and and uh, <laughs> and he liked a cool cigarette. Every now and then, I'd have to go make a run wherever we were to get a pack of cigarettes. So we're on a long West coast trip and every, after every game I load up the balls and then I would put the beers in the bag with the balls. And I did this for about four or five games. Now we're on, um, we're the, we're finishing up in Portland and we had a game in, uh, Seattle regular season games. So after the game in Seattle, he said, Hey, gravy put the, and so I did. Well, these, these, uh, beers were bottled. They weren't cans, but who cares? I threw the, uh, you know, about 15 bottled beers in there. And then when we landed, we had to go right directly to the facility, the um, Lewis and Clark practice facility, and had to have a shoot-around practice that morning. And when I got there, the bag was saturated with water. I thought, well, it rains a lot out here in the Northwest. I guess they just got wet. I didn't open up the bag until I put on my, you know, practice gear. And we go out in the middle of the court, and I put the balls there where I always do. And Casey Jones opened up, unzipped them. And he said, Rook, what the hell is this? I said, what's up coach? He said, these balls are saturated in beer and glass. We, we can't practice. We'll get, all right, guys, Rook, you owe me 50 bucks for every ball. That's $300. Get your asses back on the bus. We don't have practice today. We can't practice. So we go back Truth. on the bus, and Wes is like, guys, this is one of the great veteran moves that was made by our rookie here. He <laughs> sacrificed the balls so we didn't have to practice. Guys, I want you all to pony up and get Grevy, pay his fine. So everybody threw in money and a hat and paid my fine. And, and from that point on, you know, there was – a good rib with Wes. Are I. you kidding me? What a story that is. I, I'm sure you were probably horrified at first and you end up being a hero. <laughs> That's exactly right, Jamie. I was scared of the man, but uh, it, it was funny. From that point on, it wasn't Rook anymore. It was Greavy. At least I advanced in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to ask you uh, on West Unsailed again, in, in all his practice sessions, can you just tell me one time? I mean, I know it probably happened a ton, but what it was like from a physical standpoint for a guard like you to actually run into and maybe not see it coming, a West Unsailed pick is probably like nothing anybody's ever felt. No, it'd be like running into my Escalade, you know, out here in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there was no running through or over. You had to go around, and uh, and that's a wide man. So, you know, no wonder in practice I was on the second team for my first two years in the league. Uh, 
Phil Chenier was shooting a lot of open jumpers in practice because I just couldn't get around that pick. And wow. I talked to Mike Reardon about how do you do it. He said you got to anticipate. You got to you got to uh, you know you can't wedge like most people because Wes will you know and he can hurt you. <laughs> so you really have to trail the pick. You have to just go right behind Phil. And uh, so I I got better at it. And but I learned. Um, you know, our opponents were going to have the same problem I was having in practice. So when it was my turn to play with Wes, trust me, I used those picks to my advantage. And it um, wasn't long. Um, you know, I was averaging 15, 16, 17 points a game. And um, Wes Unsell was directly responsible for at least 10 or 12 of my points, either on the outlet passes where I would get layups or those um, wide um bone crushing picks that he would put on people to allow me to have the open looks that I got. So he was a great teammate to play with. He did all the little things. Yes. The rebounding, the passing, his outlet passes. Um, He was tough defender, you know, using his low center of gravity, pushing those taller, bigger centers out of the lane. Um, he did all his work before the big man would catch the ball. That was his secret, you know, because if he waited um, as for the pass to enter to his man in the paint, well, six six, you know, he was a real disadvantage over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Artis Gilmore or Bob Lanier or all these great players, big men. So what he would do is just lean on him and push him right out of the lane. Now, instead of a three- or four-foot turnaround, they – they had a 12-foot shot they had to make. So he was great, and he, and man, he did his craft better than anybody in the business, and that's why he was a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, before there was a Rodman, there was an unsell. Like I say, his body, the fact that he was at a disadvantage height-wise, he would lean on people like that oak tree, and he pushed you out of the way, man. He just uh, was so physical. The thing about it is, I'm sure he probably knocked out a lot of people that didn't see that shoulder coming. And I tell you what, he is like an oak tree. That's how I'll always remember the great late Wes Unseld. And we continue our conversation with Kevin Grevy, the outstanding former Washington Bullet world champion, Kevin Grevy. And Kevin, it started at Taft High School back in Hamilton, Ohio. And I want to go back in time. Uh, when at Taft did you start having to feel like, you know what, I can do this at the – at the college level, and I'm starting to see and feel, when did things start to come together for you from an athletic standpoint in basketball? I had a great high school basketball coach. And of all the coaches I had, from Joe B. Hall, Casey Jones, Kevin Lockery, Don Nelson, and I had a bunch of great coaches. It has to go back to my high school coach. He's the one that gave me the belief and the uh, passion and fed my fire for the game of basketball. He was a real student of the game. He played at Miami of Ohio. My coach did. He was well-respected with his peers. He was the president of the Ohio Basketball Coaches Association when I was there my uh, junior year and senior year. And so um, I knew quickly growing up that if I was good enough to play on the high school team, Marv McCollum was going to be my coach. And he was going to make me a better player. And he used to take me in the summers to, we would drive to camps and uh, I went to Columbus. I went to Cleveland and the best players 
in the state of Ohio I got to go up against. And then we would drive back, and he, we would talk about the experience, and he would tell me, Kevin, you're really good, man. I think you're the best player in the whole state of Ohio. And don't wow. sell yourself short. You know, I know you like Miami where I went and Xavier where your dad went, Ohio State. But you got to expand your look at some of these other schools around America because the, the, the scholarships are going to be coming after your performance. And um, that just fed my interest and love. And he really believed in me. Um, and so that's when I knew I could play big-time college basketball. And and it was the same thing in college when I was at Kentucky. After my freshman year, I went to the Rupp Bissell Pratt basketball camp in Louisville, Kentucky. I worked the camp as a counselor, and at night we would play against the ABA Louisville Kentucky Colonels, Artis Gilmore, Dan Issel, Louis Dampier, uh, Ron Thomas. All these guys would play against us, all the counselors, and we were the best college players in Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio, Rupp would, uh, Coach Rupp would get all these uh, really good, fine college players. And that's when I knew I could play against the pros. But you can't do it until you're tested and until you can prove it to yourself. And back then, there weren't a lot of opportunities to play against pros. So when I did that that summer, that's when I knew, hey, I, I, I can do this. I can make a living doing this. I was so excited. So it was a re- revelation um, twice in my life when I knew the next level I had the, the ability to do it. Of course, you've gone on the great things. A broadcaster, Westwood One, you're a scout now. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you go from Taft High School to Kentucky. You're talking about the the highest honor in terms of college basketball. It's just uh, something that people aspire to. That is like the mecca of college basketball. And as I look on your career and look back, when you go back there, Rupp Arena, you look up in the rafters, you see the 35 hanging up there. I mean, I'm in awe of that. You're so humble about your basketball career. And, folks, when I say one of the greats that ever played the game, Kevin, when you look up there and see that 35 in that place, that special place, what does that mean to you? Well, it's uh, certainly a special honor for any player to have your jersey retired. And at a school like Kentucky, they're uh, you know they're going to run out of numbers. There are a lot of a lot of jerseys up there, Jamie. I'm just one of many. Um, there, you know, the greats before me, the Alex Groses and Dan Issel and Louis Dampier and Mike Pratt and. Um, Wawa Jones and Goose Givens. And then after, yeah, and then after me, Jack Givens, Rick Roby, uh, Skywalker, James Mashburn, uh, John Wall, and Anthony Davis. I mean, um, they're, they're going to have to start giving out Roman numerals for jerseys <laughs> here pretty soon. But <laughs> so, you know, I'm. I'm I'm in a select company, uh, and I'm very grateful for it. I go back for the Legends weekend. Coach Calipari has been reach out to all of us, all Americans, and uh, and it's uh, a select fraternity for sure. Um, and I'm just um, you know I don't say, wow, boy, what a great career I had. You know, I don't I don't think that way. I just think you know how lucky I was 
yeah, I worked my tail off for everything I got, but how lucky I was to have great parents, a father who played the game, who taught me how to play the right way, a high school coach who I alluded to, who um, just, you know, fed my passion. And then the luck to have made the right decision to go to Kentucky because I could have gone other places. It may not have worked out quite that way. And the good Lord keeping me healthy um, for all that. And the teammates, you know, anytime you get an award, this is not an individual sport, basketball. It's a collective bunch of guys that I had to rely on, like West Sun sells picks and outlet passes I was talking about. Well, Kentucky, I had to rely on every one of my teammates to make us all better, and we did it together. And maybe I scored the most points and had the, the shining career, but couldn't have done it without them. And that's why those teammates that I played with are so important to me in my life because they helped me make who I am today. I wouldn't have been drafted by the Bullets. I wouldn't have had my restaurant for 37 years and the broadcasting career and now the scouting is all part of the journey. Um, and there are so many people that helped me get there. So, Jamie, that's, that's what keeps you humble. Absolutely. Our special guest, Kevin Grevy, the outstanding former guard of the Washington Bullets, the world champion Bullets. And uh, we're going to come back in the next segment. We've got a lot to talk about with Kevin. But I do want to let you know, I've always been grateful to Kevin. Of course, Kevin owned Grevy's Restaurant for so many years up in Northern Virginia, a place I love to go to. And the thing about it, whenever I saw Kevin, he always said, I've got the tab. It's free. You know why, Jamie? You're on scholarship here. So I was always on scholarship <laughs> at Grievy's, which I love, and I always want to thank you for that. You always took care of me at Grievy's. We had such great conversations. And the thing about you that I always loved was the fact you let me in. You let me hear some of the greatest stories I always treasure. And every time I talk to you, it's just uh, better than the time before. And you have so many, like the one you told her. We're going to come back. I want to find out about uh, your coaches. Of course, you said your dad. Of course, we'll get into that. But Joe B. Hall, Dick Mata, uh, both advancing in years. I want to find out uh, your relationships with them uh, to this day, what they meant to you, not only coaching, but as a man. We'll find out that and much, much more as our conversation continues. Continues with the great Kevin Grevy as the Sports King rolls on this Friday morning. Hi, this is Andre Rising, and you're listening to my friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the podiatry center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to the man who thinks that Velcro 
is nothing more than a ripoff. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Friday morning, and it doesn't get any better than this. One of my personal favorites grew up, and I had one team that I loved more than any other, the Washington Bullets, now the Wizards. Now, don't get me started there. I can't stand that name. They need to go back. The greatest success ever was with the Bullets, and they need to go back. You get that name back, get those uniforms back. I love those uniforms. Love that team. I will always love that team. And one of the key cogs of that team is our special guest, the outstanding former guard at Kentucky, went on to greatness with the Bullets. And we're going to rejoin our conversation with the outstanding Kevin Greavy, of course, owner formerly of Kevin Greavy's Bar there up in Northern Virginia, which I was on full scholarship for, as he always tells me. Hey, Kevin, uh, let's go back and, of course, um, Continuing on, you had outstanding coaches from your father, but let's talk about Joe B. Hall and Dick Mata. Both are advancing in age. You still keep in contact with them. Can you talk about their impacts, both as coaches and then from a uh, just man-to-man, what they meant to you and mean to you to this day in terms of the lessons that you learned? Well, they both were outstanding basketball coaches. Not good. I mean, they both played the game, Joe B., Paul, my coach at Kentucky, um, he followed in the footsteps of Adolph Rupp, which uh, that's no easy task, but yet was able to coach um, uh, about 13, 14 years at Kentucky before he retired and went to three Final Fours, won a NCAA championship in 1978 with that uh, class of Macy and Givens, you know, the goose is loose. He's went for 40 some. Um, that, that coach there was, uh, the best, um, motivator. Um, he was a tactician for sure, but he pushed us, man. I've never was in better shape than I was under Joe B hall and playing in Kentucky with all those great players. Just, uh, only made you better and prepared me for the NBA. I had, Good coaches in uh, in the pros, Casey Jones, Dick Mata, um, uh, Gene Shue, and um, Don Nelson. They were my four coaches in my 10 years in the NBA. But I have to say I got a heart for Dick Mata. Uh, Dick, he's the one that moved me to guard. You know, I, I came out of Kentucky a small forward. And after my second year in the pros, Dick Mata said, Grevy, if you're going to have a long career, you need to play the guard position. You're, um, you're a great shooter. I've got confidence in your abilities to handle the ball, defend out on the backcourt. You'll be one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. You know, So here he was telling me what I, I could do, and I wasn't sure about it. But he believed in me, and he rolled me into that guard position at training camp my third year. And I uh, never looked back. I played guard the rest of my career. So that transition and move from forward to guard was a big step in the longevity of my career. And I can thank Dick Mata for it. And I do every time I see him. Dick, I don't know why you thought I was be a better guard than a forward. And he said, in my system, I knew you could be. <clears throat> and um, Bill Chenier uh, who was the starting guard my first two years, had that back injury and 
they were going to make a trade to get a guard. And Dick said, hold off, Bob, we got a guard that, um, that can do the same things Phil can do. And he's bigger and stronger. And Dick and Bob's like, well, who's that? He said, Grevy. And he said, you think so? You think he can play guard? He said, well, let's give it a shot before we make a trade. Bob even told me that. He said, Dick Mata really believed you could do it, Kevin, before any of us thought so. So um, I'm indebted to Dick. Yeah. What a story. Well, let's look again again about your college career. Of course, um, very humble. This guy is a two-time SEC player of the year, 73-75. Folks, that's no easy feat. Uh, Upon completing his career, he scored 1,801 points, which ranked him second at the time, all-time in Kentucky history behind only Dan Issel. You look back in your career, of course, your senior year, you lose to UCLA, which many people did, but you get to a championship game there, and what would be John Wooden's final game, you score 34 points, named to the all-final four team. Uh, I know that was a painful loss for you, but the fact that you got there and played so well, I mean, you had to just, uh, looking back, a disappointment, but the way you played, you gave everything you had. I did. Um, you know, uh as you know, as you get older and you reflect back, you realize that, you know, those painful losses, losing in the state championship in high school, losing in the NCAA championship to UCLA and college, um, you know, what, what doesn't kill you just makes you stronger, Jamie. And um, I, I just knew that if I ever had another opportunity, another chance, I wanted to feel what that championship would be. I mean, yes, there's something to be said for the journey and, and going to the finals or going to the final four or getting there, but I wanted to get across the finish line. And so when we had that chance, my third year in the NBA, 1978, of course, everybody wanted it. Uh, Same with the other locker room, but I just knew that, Somehow, with those great players on my team, with Wes and Elvin and Bobby D and <clears throat> Mitch Kupchak and Greg Ballard and uh, Larry Wright, CJ, uh, Tommy Henderson, that, that was the nucleus of our team and myself. We were going to find a way to win. And when we got to game seven, I did say a little prayer. I have to admit, you know, a couple hours <laughs> for that game. Got down on my one knee uh, with a ball in my hand, and I'm like, hey, thank you for this opportunity, good Lord. And I was able to get this far, and I know I've suffered a couple devastating losses. You didn't see fit for me to win. I, you know, if I win a championship here in a couple hours, game seven, um, I'll make some promises that I'll be a better teammate, a better person, you know, and, um, in my own words, my own way, I, um, I, you know, kind of made a deal. Uh, there were probably a lot of prayers guys, you know, <laughs> praying for the same thing I was, but, um, when that game ended and after the celebration and jumping all around and showering and getting back to the bus, um, I had one last act there at the Seattle Coliseum. I remember getting on a bus, and I told John Lally, I said, Lally, um, I didn't want to tell him what I wanted to do, but I wanted to go back to that same place where I um, made a prayer. 
And he said, no, they're locking up the gym. They got the leaf blowers going. Man, you got to get your butt on the bus. We're going back to the hotel. I said, well, then I'll just take a cab, John, but I'm going. I got to run back in the arena. Can you wait 30 seconds, a minute? He said, well, hurry up. And I ran down those stadium stairs, and I went underneath that basket, and that's when I said my prayer. Thank you, good Lord. I'll live in your glory. Thank you so much. I, I promise I'll be a much better person, a better athlete. God bless. Thank you for this feeling. And I ran back on the bus. And, uh, Jamie, I couldn't let him down, man. I, I, you know, I had about six or seven technical fouls. <laughs> My first three years in the league, you know, I never got another tee. Wow. And I know I was a better teammate. And, um, and I appreciated the game. Obviously, I respected the game, but um, maybe winning a championship did that. But in the back of my mind, I knew I had a responsibility now um, because I was given this gift. And um, I'm not going to say it changed my life. I hope that I would live my life in the glory and all, but um, it may have. It may have that moment. So the real story is now it wasn't, Bullet the mascot. It wasn't the fat lady. It was Kevin Greeby going there, <laughs> praying that got us through Game Seven. So now we know the real story of why uh, and how this all happened. Thank you, Kevin, well, for doing that. By the way, I had, yeah, I had to pull out all stops, my man. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, but uh, it is the gift keeps on giving. Um, you know, when absolutely. I talk to people like you, um, you know, inevitably it gets to that championship and. They can never take that away from you. Kevin, we want to get to some questions. Facebook Live, we're on Facebook Live as well as Sports 106.1, so let's roll through these quickly. Tom Woods asked the question, uh, were you on the team that lost to Golden State in the finals? If so, any insight as to what happened in that series? No, I was not. That was 1975 when the Golden State Warriors swept the Bullets four straight. Rick Barry and company. Rick Barry, yes. Um, yeah, Um so, I Tom, came, because uh, of Kevin not being on that team, that's why they didn't win that series. So that's what happened, right? <laughs> of course. You know, hey, Ralph Faulkner. Kevin, we got one from London, England. Ralph Faulkner asking you, uh, you made the uh, playoffs eight of ten of your uh, ten of the years in the NBA. What was the biggest shot Kevin Greeley ever made in his career? Great question from London, England. Wow, that is great. Great question. Um I had some uh, some moments where they went to me for the last second shot. Um, I remember missing a couple, uh, but um, I remember also making a few. Probably the the biggest shot I made was in the playoffs of 1978 against the Atlanta Hawks um, in the mini series back then. It was the best of three or best of five. I forget. But I won the best of seven. And the first game in Atlanta, I went down there and um, I had 41 points in that game. But And the game went into overtime, but I had to hit a shot in front of our bench in the corner. I fell, hit the water bucket, the water or the Gatorade goes flying all over the place. But I made the shot with just a few seconds left. And this is pre-three-point play now, so... We're down two, and I made it, put the game in overtime, and uh, Elvin Hayes had an unbelievable overtime to win that game. That was probably 
the most memorable shot I ever made in the NBA. You know, Kevin, when you look at that World Championship team, I mean, you're talking about Wes and the Big E, who was just electric, as you know, down in the post. And then you throw in Bobby D, who's been a guest on our show, and yourself. And you look at the guys on that team and the collective talent and what they did in college and then you all come together for the perfect storm. Dick Mata coaching you. And, of course, we'll never forget that great song written by Nils Lofgren and performed by him, Bullets Fever, one of my all-time favorites. But when you look <laughs> at that team and what you guys did all these years later, the best team the district and the area has ever seen, man, you got to sit back sometimes in your chair at night and say, you know what? Man, that was one hell of a run, and the likes of which that team may never be seen again in terms of the talent and the productivity and the collective aspect of that team. You're right. We did have a heck of a nucleus of guys. We had the veterans. We had the young guys like myself, Mitch, Greg, um, Larry Wright, CJ. Definitely, we were um, we were just built perfectly you know i give a lot of credit to bob ferry our general manager and abe pullen our owner going out and signing bobby dandridge the summer before the championship as a free agent and bob built that team to last to be a champion um i wonder how we didn't win more than one you know we we could have repeated the next year and won two in a row and then we would have gone down as one of the greatest teams all time. When you do back-to-back, uh, you know, there are only a handful of teams that have done that. Um, but we came up short against Seattle, and largely due to the injuries. You know, West was really, really struggling with his knees, although he played every game, and Elvin did as well. It was Bobby Dandridge who got hurt. Mitch Kupchak hurt his back. I heard, I pulled a hamstring in the second uh, game of that series. Um, so the injuries started to mount and the wear and tear on us, especially the older guys, didn't enable us to get uh, the, the second repeat championship. But it was a great team, nevertheless. Ben Maitland, my producer, wanted to know this question uh, about you being one of the very first people to make a three-pointer in NBA history. That's another point of pride for you. Well, it is. You know, the three-point shot uh, came in in 1980, and um, Dick Mata was our coach, and nobody really wanted that. The old-time coaches kind of resented it. They didn't want to bring that old ABA, red, white, blue basketball, cheerleaders, piping music into the arena, shooting threes. Well, guess what? All that stuff happened. (laughs) It took a while. And it took a while for the coaches to embellish the three-point shot. And um, we never had it in our training camp. They didn't put a line out there. But I knew I was a long-range shooter, and this would be right in my wheelhouse. So um, we never talked about it, never said anything. We, I mean, the three-point shot was like an afterthought. It just wasn't going to be part of our offensive attack. Well, the first game... The first time we were playing the Knicks and at home, and the first time I touched the ball, I was behind the line. I turned, I shot, and I made it. But it was in front of our bullet's bench, and I remember Dick going, no, no. And then it went in. And I looked back at him, and he just kind of was shaking his head. And after about a few weeks, 
into the season, he he made a Greavy rule. He said, no one shoots that three-point shot but Greavy. If Greavy's got it and he wants it, all right. But I don't want to see any <laughs> of you other knuckleheads shooting the three-point shot. I mean, that's how you know abusive he was towards that rule. But eventually, Dick, you know, hey, we won a few games. Last second shot, you know, end of a quarter, we would use it. And um, team started to figure it out. The, the coach and the team that used it the most was the Boston Celtics. Fred Arbach saw it, and then when Larry Bird came in, then it was a big part of their attack, and everybody started imitating the Celtics, and now you see what the three-point play has become. It's the biggest play of the game. They shoot Absolutely. them about 30, 40 a game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our special guest, Kevin Greevy. We're going to take one last break, come back, close it out with Kevin, find out what he's up to now, and much, much more. You listen to Sports King with Kevin Greevy, world champion from the Washington Bullets. We'll be right back on Sports 1061. Hi, this is former Virginia Tech defense coordinator Bud Foster, and you're listening to a Sports King, Jamie King on Sports 1061. The Sports King studio line is now open. If you got a sports question, thoughts on your mind about your favorite team, we'd love to hear from you at 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Welcome back, everyone. Friday morning edition of the Sports King Show, and we could not be more ecstatic than to have the legend himself, the left-hander, Kevin Grevy. Man, what an honor. Love this guy. Absolutely. Every time we get to talk and catch up, it's always enjoyable. And we rejoin our conversation with Kevin. And Kevin, uh, of course, the outstanding career at Kentucky. You go on to a world championship with the Bullets. Uh, and we hear today uh, going over what happened yesterday afternoon with the NBA approving 22-team format to finish the season. I know... Being a basketball junkie like you are, and you cover teams and cover college and all the things you do, the fact that the Board of Governors voted to approve the 22-team format to restart the 2019-20 season, July 31st in Orlando. Your take on how this restart will go and how excited are you the basketball will be back? Well, we need we need sports, man. We need baseball. We need hockey, basketball, football, and uh, I am just proud that Adam Silver uh, is giving uh, an ear to the needs of the players, the general managers, the owners. I mean, he fielded everything um, and presented three different scenarios to the Board of Governors. And it was ultimately their decision, the Board of Governors, to choose this 22-team format um, I wish it was all 30 teams myself. I work for the Hornets, and we're one of the eight teams that have been left out. I get it. I understand it. It's, I mean, it's going to be a long uh, gap for the Hornets and the Hawks and those teams that are, aren't going to be participating. Uh, the three months that we've had since we shut the season down, they're going to move the season back and start it in December. That's nine months of not having access to real games, you know. Um, our teams uh, or our players are in our facilities still practicing as if they would for any off season training, working out, but we're not going to be in Orlando, but having that own personal feeling of wishing that we were there, 
I'm thrilled that the league's going to be back. They're going to play some regular season games. I hope for two things, no injuries, because that's a long time to be down and to be back and competitive again, and hope for no more positive tests, because what are we going to do if right. there's an outbreak in Orlando? But wow. they'll, I'm sure, do whatever they have to do to protect the players, the coaches, and those 1,500 or so people that are going to be quarantined down in Orlando. So um, I'm just glad they're giving it a try. I mean, we got yep. to start getting our country back. And uh, when fans start seeing the games on TV, it's going to lift you up. We need some positive things after what's going on in our country. Yes. This virus and the racial strife that has uh, come to a surface. Um, there's a lot of bad news out there. And yes. we need some good news. And boy, and amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's been 80 some days here and very little sports to talk about. And uh, thank goodness that uh, great guests like you come on. And, but yes, we need it in the worst way. Um, let's go back 1975, folks. You got to understand this guy was a first round pick. 18th overall. Of course, we talk to a lot of the folks that come on and they'll tell us or their signing bonus way back in the day and so forth. Mark Mosley said, yeah, I think it was $2,500. Now, when you look back at your deal, 1975, was that a tough negotiation? Do you remember that uh, vividly? Of course, a big time opportunity, first pick, uh, first round pick, 18th overall compared to today's money back then, 75, not as great, but uh, definitely transformative in a lot of ways for you as you get your first big deal. Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I fired my agent after I signed my um, contract. I signed a four year contract. I'm not even, gonna, I'm embarrassed to tell you the kind of money I made. That's why I fired him. Um, and my agent, my, my agent was my dad. <laughs> oh, I bet my that was dad. fun around the old dinner table, huh? Oh, no, I was all in good fun. Um, my dad, uh, you know, uh, was an attorney. He passed away a few years ago and, um, you know, we were probably out of our element, but back then you didn't have a lot of negotiating power. There was only one, um, one team that I wanted to, or one league I wanted to play for, and that was the NBA. I got drafted third in the ABA, and if we were smart, we would have played the two off one another, but I just told the ABA, uh, San Diego, I was going to the NBA. And, uh, but now I probably should have rehired my dad because I got a $20,000 signing bow in the bonus and Mark Mosley only got 2,500. So maybe I did go. better than I thought. There you go. Hey, Kevin, we've only got a couple minutes trying to squeeze a couple last minute questions in here. You're now with the Charlotte so, Bombcats in about a minute. Can you talk about uh, working with Michael Jordan, that experience and uh, the bomb, uh, the Hornets rather in terms of what they're going to be in terms of the coming years, a lot of excitement there. Yeah, well, anybody saw the last dance uh, uh, while while you were quarantined, you saw the competitive fire and juices that Michael Jordan has. And he's been successful in everything he's done in life except those Charlotte Hornets. So, you know, he he's motivated to get them back. That's why Mitch Kupchak's a GM. That's why I'm there. A bunch of us who were with the Lakers were brought over. So I think we're going to rebuild that team. we got a lot of nice pieces 
and the Charlotte uh, organization is going to be relevant in a year or two. As we close this segment out, uh, Kevin Grevy, our special guest, any thoughts uh, for the country, for the folks listening in terms of staying positive and looking ahead to brighter days? Well, I think we will. Um, those uh, those cops in Minneapolis that did that horrible um, thing to George Floyd, um, all of us were riveted to the TV sets and we're like, oh my God, how can this happen? And um, I think that there are going to be changes that are going to be made that we're all going to be happy and live with. And, um, but we just got to start hugging instead of hating, man, we got to find a way. And the great thing about playing on a team, you learn the heart and soul of your teammates. There were no racial problems on a team because we had trust. We loved our teammates and that's what we have to do. Get to know our neighbors and, uh, say you're sorry for any of the strife they've had and let's move on. I love it, man. Let's go into business together with T-shirts. Start hugging, stop hating. I love that, man. There you go. 50-50. What do you say? Hell yeah, man. You're a good (laughs) businessman. Let's do it. Let's do it, Hey, Kevin. Man, you know I love you. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. We want to have you back soon as the basketball season gets going. You take care of your family, and thank you for being our special guest. You know how we feel about you. Well, I'm sorry I took your scholarship away at Grievies. There is no more Grievies, but there's always an opportunity for us to get together. God bless. Man. Hey, open up, an, uh, open up another restaurant. I'll be back there. Kevin, thank you so much. We'll be right back after these messages on Sports King. Hi, this is number 26, former Redskin defensive back and Super Bowl champion Danny Copeland. You're listening to my main man, Jamie King, on Sports King Show on Sports 106.1. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hail to the Redskins. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. Our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit CMA's ColonialHonda.com. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to the guy that was once addicted to brake fluid. But please don't worry, he says he can stop at any time. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. And welcome back Friday morning, man. I am fired up. Fired up Friday. How about that? Thank you, London, England. Enjoying that interview with Kevin Grevy. Folks uh, commenting, we really appreciate your feedback there because it doesn't get any better than that. Kevin Grevy, one of my all-time favorite people. The stories, looking back, and folks, you got to remember, for Joe B. Hall, one of the great college players ever, if you go to Rupp Arena ever, get a chance to see a game, which is very hard unless you're somebody with a legacy that has tickets, hard to get in there to watch a ball game. But if you do look up at the rafters, look at that 35 
uh, just amazing there. And, of course, a uh, great career in the NBA, world champion, uh, did such great things in college and then in the NBA. And he's excited about NBA basketball coming back. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I want to start this hour, and the phone lines are open, 804-327-0888. Hey, guess what? Stock markets coming back, jobs coming back, and sports are starting to come back. That's why I'm fired up. And I tell you what, Ben Maitland, could I please get a little Ric Flair right now? Please. I'm begging you. I need a little bit. Woo! Woo! Exactly. And how about Coach O? Let's hear it down in Louisiana. What do you say, Coach? Go Tigers! Go Tigers indeed. Love it. Hey, guess what, folks? Uh, I told you the Drew Brees apology tour is continuing. The New Orleans Saints quarterback took to Instagram on Thursday night to expound on his apology early in the day for his comments on protesting during the national anthem. The comments we know have been widely criticized throughout the sports world and among other folks as well. Breeze said in a video apology posted yesterday, quote, I know there's not much I can say that would make things any better right now, but I just want you to see in my eyes how sorry I am for the comments that I made yesterday. He went on to say, I know that it hurt many people, especially friends, teammates, former teammates, loved ones, people I care and deeply respect. That was never my intention. Going on, he went and said, I wish I would have laid out what was in my heart in regards to George Floyd murder. Ahmaud Avery, there are years of years of social injustice, police brutality, and the need for so much reform and change in regards to legislation and so many other things to bring equality to our black communities. He went on to close it out by saying, I am sorry. I will do better, and I will be part of the solution, and I am your ally, and I know no words will do that justice. So that's Drew Brees. A video he put out said that. So, you know, you're looking at this, and you can look at it through many lenses. Uh, Drew Brees is not a perfect man. Nobody is. He did something here. He's asking for apologies uh, offering apologies, asking for forgiveness. And right now, uh, his teammates are working through that. Uh, the rest of the league, it's up to them. It's up to you as a listener. Your take, 804-327-0888. Do you accept that apology? It was heartfelt, and I know he's trying to get back on solid ground. His final year coming up, and he wants to go out and play football and not have this overshadow his illustrious career but right now you wonder if that stain is going to follow him and further the question i have is there are multiple reports of multi-million dollar offers for drew Brees to go to the broadcasting booth after his career his hall of fame career ends this year once it's done and I said earlier in the week i felt when somebody asked me who would be in the super bowl i said kansas city afc the NFC would be the New Orleans Saints. I felt Drew Brees would ride off in the sunset with the Super Bowl title. I felt everything was coming together, and then this happened. So you wonder if that will have a fracture effect on the locker room or if he'll be able to overcome it with his teammates. You only hope that will happen. But right now the question is, would you want to listen or see Drew Brees, an eloquent speaker, he knows the game, he's a Hall of Famer, but has this tarnished him to the point where you think – people will allow him as a country and as a nation into that uh, situation, into a booth where he can actually have a forum there, or will he be, you know, staying to the point where you'll say, no, I, I don't want to see that. I heard from him and whatever he said, I can't get past it. 
Uh, it's just going to take some time. You wonder if he can do some things in the interim that are going to, you know, overcome this situation to where he is basically going to be able to get back in the uh, world of public opinion and be able to uh, move past what has happened. Um, it was a situation yesterday in Florida. I said Florida State has a lot of problems down there. Of course, head coach Mike Norvell uh, issued a statement yesterday talking about uh, meeting with his players and uh, trying to get together with his players and trying to work with them now and sitting down and getting uh, control of the situation in Florida State because many people feel when you have the situation with Mike Norvell, he basically went on record stating that uh, – you know, he had talked to players one-on-one and talked to them about this racial strife and all this situation, but he did not. And so yesterday, trying to uh, create uh, some damage control there, uh, they say they had a team meeting and he talked to players at that point. But Mike Norvell, to me, has that locker room. I don't know how it's going to work down there in Florida State. Some people said his job might be in jeopardy because he lied to his players. And as a coach, if you lie to your players, you lose your players. So it's going to be very interesting there to see if Florida State will be able to rebound with Mike Norvell as the lead guy there. It's going to be interesting there. Uh, We're going to talk about basketball momentarily. I first want to let you know Major League Baseball says they will not take another pay cut and, quote, have resoundingly rejected, end quote, the league's plan to begin the season, according to a statement Thursday from union executive Tony Clark. The statement came after a two-hour conference call of the association's executive board and several other Major League Baseball Players Association player leaders. And one day after the league rejected a player uh, proposal rather from the players to play 114 games with full prorated salaries the league wants a drastically reduced schedule in order for owners to be able to pay players on a per game basis and they went on to say earlier this week major league baseball communicated its intention to reschedule a dramatically shortened 2020 season unless players negotiate salary concessions here's the thing folks greed is here Greed is everywhere in this Major League Baseball thing. It makes me sick because the players have got to say, okay, I'll get paid on a per-game basis. That's fine. I don't care what you're getting paid. What you're getting paid is more than every average American's getting paid every day. Take the money you get. Be happy and grateful for it. Play a smaller season. Get through the season. Do what you have to do, but bring baseball back. The NBA is working through it. The NHL is working through it. Football is trying to work back right now. Uh, NASCAR has already worked through it. You can do it, baseball, but the thing is, will it be greed winning and the American public losing? That's my case. And I'm telling you right now, diehards will come back, but by and large, if baseball turns its back collectively on us, we will collectively turn our back on baseball. Yes, some people will say, well, you know what, I'm going to watch no matter what, but that's fine. But if you have people that say it's the almighty dollar, but not the American public that matters. It will resonate, and it's going to hurt the game beyond worth. That's my take. What's yours? 804-327-0888 is the number. 804-327-0888 is the number. And I want to let you know this is something I'm not going to change my opinion on. It's something that is going to be uh, you know, long felt in terms of baseball. If they don't get it right, this is going to be – a really, really bad thing for Major League Baseball if other leagues come back and they don't come back. I'm just saying this is something that will stay in the game for years to come. And you watch fans, some come back, many won't. I also want to talk to you about 
Yesterday, I talked about social media and the power of social media and the fact that uh, certain people, uh, we had a college player that was uh, basically uh, let go yesterday that used racially insensitive language. Of course, it came out yesterday. Bill's rookie quarterback, Jake Fromm, formerly of the Georgia Bulldogs, apologized yesterday after screenshots emerged of a text conversation in which he said, quote, only elite white people, end quote, should be able to purchase guns. I mean, what world are these guys existing in here? I mean, I I just don't get it. The conversation, which took place in 2019, was posted to Twitter early Thursday morning, involved Fromm and a friend discussing guns. Fromm wrote, quote, but no guns are good. They need to uh, let me get suppressors before adding just make them very expensive so only elite white people can get them. Ha ha. Uh, uh, You know, (laughs) You have no words for these things. And then he came on with the Mia Culpa. Of course, all these guys, it's, it's amazing how all these conversations that they put out there for the public forum then take back. He backtracked, started doing the, the backtracking and said, quote, I'm extremely sorry that I chose to use the words elite white person in a text message conversation. He said in a statement posted to his Twitter account on Thursday afternoon, although I never meant to imply that I am an elite white person, as later stated in the conversation, there is no excuse for that word choice and sentiment. He went on to say, I stand against racism 100 percent. I promise to commit myself to being part of the solution in the country. Jake Fromm. So the bill said in a statement, quote, he was wrong. He admitted to it. We don't condone what he said. Jake was honest and forthcoming to us about the text exchange. He asked for an opportunity to address and apologize to his teammates and coaches today in a team meeting, which he did. We will continue to work with Jake on the responsibilities of being a Buffalo Bill on and off the field. Defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier of the Buffalo Bills said he expected team leaders to reach out to Fromm to work with him. Went on to say Jake seemed very sincere in his apology. We have a very strong culture on our team. Those guys are going to be able to sift through what is real and what is not real. So uh, another situation, Jake Fromm, supposed to be a team leader, comes out with this. And folks, I tell you right now, for you middle schoolers, high schoolers, guys in college, Everybody in any profession, when you post things and put things out in a social forum, uh, no matter what age you are, and say things and they're incendiary and uh, offensive, and you post them, and then years later you become famous, then all of a sudden, hey, I really didn't mean to say that back then. Well, guess what? The electronic trail of the Facebooks and the social media and all of the things out there, the TikToks and the Instagrams and all the things you say and all the things you do are going to go with you. And people say to me, you know, in terms of job interviews, I've heard employers say, uh, now I'm finding more and more out. You read things that employers look at those things because they want to find out also what are your views? What type of person are they bringing on? And I'm not saying they're holding everything against you, but if you come up with radical statements and offensive statements in some posts and do these type of things in a setting of social aspect, and then it goes into that interview in the mind of the interviewer from a job standpoint, some people could say, you know what, do I want a racially offensive guy on my staff or in the building with my team? And so you have to be very careful 
about what you're posting, what you're saying, what you're thinking, and offending other people. And sometimes um, young college kids, they think they can get away with it, and they're uh, immune to any type of repercussion. But I'm telling you, we had a kid yesterday lost the scholarship, and Jake Fromm here in a position where he has to apologize to his Bills teammates and then Drew Brees. So you're seeing more and more people. It's more about, as uh, Carlton Raymond talked to me yesterday, a former player, he said, Coach, it's, it's a time where uh, people need to be quiet, listen more, and educate themselves. And so if you're not educated on the facts, don't speak to something you don't know. That's the key here. You have to learn, you have to be caring, and you have to be open to various people's points of view and not just be closed-minded in that situation here. So hopefully rookie Jake Fromm will learn from this situation. Of course, he was in the locker room at Georgia and now he's moving on. So it's a situation where you say, hopefully the young man will learn and move forward in his career with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we did learn more news, and sadly not on the playing front of sports, but more uh, guys falling apart in terms of the uh, public perception of comments made. Texas State coach Danny Kaspar, the uh, Ben's basketball coach, uh, played in a racially uh, insensitive climate under uh, Texas State men uh, played in a, a racially insensitive climate under Danny Caspar, according to two former players who said the coach directed ethnic jokes and various stereotypes at minority players. Former Bobcats guard Jalen Sheed tweeted his allegations Thursday. He said Caspar told a roster of predominantly black players to chase that chicken when he wanted them to run faster and told players who didn't exceed a 2.2 GPA that they would end up working at Popeye's. I mean, let me let me just say this as a former head coach. You say this, uh, you need to be fired immediately. You, you need to be fired immediately. Uh, as a coach, you know, I want to inspire players. I want players to feel whole. You want players to give their best. You have to treat players the same. You have to give players excitement, enthusiasm, and let them know that they would run through a wall for you. They would do anything for you as a coach because you're asking them the same. You're asking them to give up their body and their heart and drive and effort and everything. So saying things like this, I mean, where is this guy coming from? I mean, chase that chicken and you should work at Popeye's if you don't have a 2.2. I mean, you're looking at a guy that should be immediately fired. Why is this guy still coaching? I just can't understand it. Uh, in his tweet, she wrote that in practice, Caspar wanted players to speed up. The coach told them they would run faster if a brown man with a turban and AK-47 entered the gym with a gun. Uh, I, I don't know, folks. i tell you what. Uh, you start seeing things and hearing things about coaches, and more and more stuff's coming out. So I'm telling you, this won't be the first coach or the last. But when you're trying to inspire players – and African-American players, you're saying things so incendiary, uh, there has to be chancellors and presidents of universities say, that's it, you're gone. I can't believe in any culture where this is acceptable language to talk to a fellow human being that you're asking to then give you everything they have. When I coach, I wanted my players to give me everything. But you try to inspire everyone on that team. You're not looking at this guy or that guy and just trying to single out people. This is absolutely abhorrent, and this guy should be gone in the story. You need people in coaching and teaching, lifting people up, not pulling people down. 
And as Kevin Grevy just said, and I'd love to go in business with him, what a shirt that would be. More hugging, less hating. How about that? More hugging, less hating. Man, that, if I take away anything from that interview, that makes me smile. We all need to take that message of more hugging, less hating. Of course, can't hug right now. We've got to stay six feet apart. But we do know where he's going with that, and we do understand that. It's a situation that uh, the sentiment is so great, and that's what we hope for in the coming weeks and months that we can get back. And, folks, I'm a hugger. You know, I love people. And uh, it is definitely something where you can't get close to folks out there, family members and people that you want to be close to because of the situation right now in so many ways. And people are out there protecting one another. And we certainly hope we can return to normalcy as soon as possible. As I said earlier, the NBA Board of Governors voted Thursday to approve the 22-team format to restart the 2019-20 season. That is great news. Great news. It's going to be in Orlando, Florida, as I've gone on record talking about that bubble effect. It's going to be all the teams there in Orlando in that, uh, uh, let's look at it as an Olympic Village type situation. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility down there in that Disney Wild World of Sports they have down there. The complex with all of the hotels, everything's right there. And if they're going to be able to be successful, it's going to be done right there because it's going to be enclosed and very few people will be allowed in, if any. But it's going to be the teams, it's going to be the coaches, maybe the owners, the GMs, all the key personnel. But they're going to be in there. There's going to be a lot of testing going on. The vote went down 29 to 1. With the Portland Trail Blazers, the Blazers were the only team voting against the proposal. The NBA Basketball Player Association has been working closely with league officials on the plan. The NBA uh, team uh, player representatives have a conference call set for today to approve the proposal. So we should know by this afternoon, officially, the board's approval of the restart is a necessary step towards resuming the NBA season, said NBA Commissioner Adam Silver in a statement. While the COVID-19 pandemic uh, presents formidable challenges, we are hopeful of finishing the season in a safe and responsible manner based on strict protocols now being finalized with public health officials and medical experts. We also recognize as we prepare to resume play, our society is reeling from recent tragedies of racial violence and injustice, and we will continue to work closely with our teams and players to use our collective resources and influence to address these issues in very real and concrete ways. Under the plan, folks, 13 Western Conference teams and nine Eastern Conference teams will play eight regular season seeding games, a possible play-in tournament for the ace seed in playoffs at the beautiful Walt Disney Resort, the World Resort there in Orlando. And I love that place. I've been there many times. Enjoy it. Uh, great people. Uh, the folks there will really treat them well, and it's a beautiful facility. The top 16 teams in the Eastern and Western Conference will be joined by teams currently within six games of eighth place in the two conferences. So fans of uh, Zion Williamson, you'll be happy because New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, Phoenix, and Washington, the play-in tournament will include the number eight and number nine teams in the conference. If the ninth team finishes the regular season within four games of the eighth, in that case, the number nine seed would need to beat the number eight seed twice to earn the playoff berth, while the number eight seed would need one win from the two potential games. The NBA season, uh, basically the resumption of the season is contingent on an agreement with the Walt Disney Company, which owns ESPN, to use the Walt Disney Resort for all games, practicing housing. So, folks, here's the deal. That bubble effect I'm talking about, you're going to have all your food there, all your housing there, all your practices there, all your games there. If it 
will work. It will work in NASCAR, which it has. It will work in the NBA if it's done here and you keep it in that bubble environment. Everybody's tested every day. Everybody stays the same every day. Nothing changes. You can't, as Kevin Grevy talked about, have anybody maybe from the outside coming in, bringing anybody in, because if somebody gets uh, the COVID there and it spreads, you know, that's a disaster scenario we don't even want to look at, but that's a situation where you have to keep people protected there. The league also offered dates beyond the July 31st to October 12th season with the draft lottery set on August 25th, the NBA draft on October 15th, and the 2021 season likely beginning on December 1st. Sources told ESPN that free agency could begin on October 18th with training camp starting November 10th, the teams were told to consider the free agent uh, aspect flexible. Some members of the Board of Governors whose teams were left out of the Orlando restart disagreed with the 22-team format but decided to cast yes votes. So, as Kevin Grevy said, the Charlotte Hornets were left out of that, and it's tough because it would have only been eight more teams, but they decided to go with 22 and that's the situation there. So uh, the NBA is back, and uh, the NHL will be following suit. The only team uh, from a team aspect uh, that's going to be left out right now, Major League Baseball, we know they just can't get past the dollars, and what, for whatever reason, uh, cooler heads are not prevailing there. Adam Silver has done a great job in the NBA. Maybe you should call Rob Manford and say, hey, man, let's do this, because Kevin Grevy said we need sports, and he also said, uh, more hugging, less hating. We're going to take a break. Come back for the last half hour of the Sports King Show. We'll take your phone calls to 804-327-0888. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, this is Cup of Virginia native Keith, Mr. Jennings, formerly of the Golden State Warriors. And you are listening to a man who can shoot the three almost as good as me. It's the Sports King, Jamie King. On Sports 106.1. Welcome back. You're listening to a man who is cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Sports King on Sports 106.1. And welcome back. We want to thank our one guest, Kevin Grevy, the former guard for for. The Washington Bullets, the world champion Washington Bullets, 1978. My favorite team of all time. Love that team, of course. Uh, Bobby D, Elvin Hayes, the Big E, and the late, great Wes Unseld. Great looking back at the career of Kevin Grevy and, of course, his fun memories of Wes Unseld and that great Bullets team. Uh, Just a remarkable experience uh, covering and watching that team way back when. Such an enjoyable opportunity to catch up with so many of those great players from that Bullets team. Love to hear from you in the final half hour of the show. 804-327-0888 is the number. And don't forget, it all starts here every weekday with Big Al, the legendary broadcaster here in Richmond, um, of course, on Sports Phone with Big Al. 8 to 10, he's live. I go after him immediately, 10 to 12, live here. And then we head off to the jungle in Los Angeles. Jim Rome, the outstanding broadcaster, takes over at the noon o'clock hour. I want to let you know, getting back to that Florida State mess, and it is a mess, Mike Norvell trying to sweep this one under the rug, the head coach of Florida State, uh, came out with a statement. Of course, everybody has a statement now. More press folks are involved, more marketing people trying to just stop some of the bleeding. Norvell, who was accused, of course, by one of his star players, Marvin Wilson, who is absolutely dominant, one of the toughest players, if not the best defensive player in the country, coming into this season. 
issued a statement saying that uh, uh, his coach had not reached out to them individually as he stated publicly that he only generated a text and that was it. So then Norvell doing backtracking because I'm telling you folks, many people thought he might lose his job over this because of the fact he lied to his players. Norvell went on to say this, I'm proud of Marvin for utilizing his platform to express his reaction to my comments in an earlier interview. Last Saturday evening, I sent a text to each player individually to present an opportunity for open communication with me. Many members of our team chose to respond and have more in-depth conversations about issues and feelings. Marvin is right. It was a mistake to use the word every, particularly at this time. Words are important, and I'm sorry. Once again, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I was given to speak to our team more in depth. The result of Marvin being willing to express his feelings, we will continue to communicate and work together to be a part of the solution, making our world a better place for all. Mike Norvell, coach of Florida State. Well, you know, for me personally, I'm looking at this through a different lens and from a coaching aspect. It's one thing to make mistakes. Coaches aren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But in this situation, the key here is it looks like a little too easy in terms of sweeping this under the rug. The basic aspect of this situation with Mike Norvell is he lied to his players, lied to them, and put it out there that I have spoken with every one of my players. You know, it wasn't just a minor mistake. He went on record saying, yeah, I've met with my players and talked to them. That's not something you forget. If I sit down and meet with a player, I'm going to tell you I met with a player. If I didn't, I'm going to say I didn't. But to post something and make yourself look good and say, yeah, I met with all my players. We did this and we did that and blah, blah, blah. And then it comes back when your star player calls you out and says, no, we got to generate a text. I haven't met with anybody. That's a bold-faced lie. So to try to sweep it under the rug, hey, good on him, but I'm telling you what, I think it's going to fall on deaf ears and some of those players in the locker room are going to look at this guy sideways and say, you know what, he is not who we thought he was. He's going to be a guy that uh, hopefully can get his team back. But right now, I don't look at this as a minor thing. I think this is a major thing, and I think he's going to have problems there in Tallahassee, and I think this is going to uh, escalate there because he's trying to make it like a small matter, but when you lie to your players, it's a really big deal. And he's got a lot to overcome there. He may think it's going to go by quickly. I just don't see it. I think it's a lot bigger than uh, folks are letting on. And you're going to find out in the coming weeks and months how it's going to work down there in terms of the situation in Tallahassee. We'll keep our eye on that. We do want to let you know that the NHL says phase two voluntary workouts will begin on Monday. Another reason to be excited issues remain, but the NHL's return to action is finalized. The league took two more strides on Thursday towards resuming in the 2019, 20 season. I'm telling you, this is what I'm talking about. Fired up about this after first releasing additional details with the 24 team return format in the afternoon, the league announced Thursday that phase two of its plan will begin Monday with team facilities reopening for voluntary small, group workouts great step the workouts on ice and off ice will be limited to no more than six players at a time and each player must uh, meet extensive procedural requirements contained within a 20-page summary of phase two protocols released last month 
all necessary preparations for phase two, including those that require player participation, education, diagnostic testing, scheduling for medicals, etc., can begin immediately, the league said in a news release. The NHL and the NHLPA continue to negotiate over an agreement of resumption of play. Players who opt out to participate in phase two will be subjected to regular coronavirus testing, fever checks, and have limited contact with a select group of team staff members. That includes trainers, equipment managers, and strength and conditioning coaches. They will also have no contact with other players at team facility other than those designated to be in their group. Each team must also designate a facility hygiene officer to oversee the league's protocols. Uh, getting players back from their off-season homes could require extended time and self-quarantine measures upon re-entering the U.S. and Canada, which is why Phase 2 will precede full training camps. The goal is to allow players to get back on the ice of conditioning skates uh, and will still work to get this done prior to the start of training camps, which is targeted for sometime in July. Training camps are expected to be split between two hub cities that have yet to be de uh, determined and will host games. Combining phase two and phase three uh, with the training camps is going to be plenty of time to get players ready. So I have uh, so many people have uh, very few concerns over that said blue jackets, general manager, Yarmo Kekalin. He said it last week in a teleconference, that's why the league has done it this way. So there'll be adequate time for everybody's preparation. See, this is a great thing, a big step forward for sports in our world today. And you look at the NHL, and when I watch the NHL and you watch the NHL, other than the fact when they drop the gloves and they're in each other's faces, uh, most of them have the shields, the face shields, of course, which is a big plus there. You have the padding, so there's not as much breathing on each other because you're going full speed, and, of course, uh, you're moving all the time. It is not as close quarters as, say, an NBA. The NBA has a little bit more concern for me because you're bodying up against guys, you're in close contact, you're rubbing against guys, and sweat's flying. You have all kinds of opportunity there, more so than you do in the NHL where you're protected with all your gear and your padding and your uh, particular jerseys and so forth. The NBA is such a close quarters deal. That's why I'm a little more concerned on how that's going to work. But if you're in that environment, that bubble environment, and you're in a situation, uh, you know, that's something where you have to look and say, I think we can do this if everybody's protected from the word go. I did want to let you know that uh, Purdue president, the Boilermakers president, Mitch Daniel, said uh, if the athletic team uh, he told the U.S. Senate committee on Thursday that if one athletic team at the school experienced an outbreak of COVID-19, the team would need to stop all activities, at least temporary. He made the comments in response to specific questioning during hearing of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee that was entitled COVID-19, going back to college safely. So, folks, here's the thing that I love is that people are trying, and I'm telling you, you may see things you say, well, you know, sports isn't coming back. What's going on? Folks, these people are in meetings daily, and they're coming up with ideas and trying to be proactive. What can we do? How can we do it? And you have to understand, in the world of sports, much like businesses, you have to figure out how to protect people in businesses and restaurants, wherever you go. Right now, until there is a vaccine and a cure, uh, you have to be proactive and be protective every chance you can. Now, when you look at the team aspect, they're starting to let people back in the buildings in the NFL. They're starting to let key personnel back in, and coaches are starting to come back in. But you wonder how long it's going to be until players get invited back in. It shouldn't be, hopefully, too much longer. But you're looking at a situation where uh, it's going to take time, and that's the key. But how 
every day goes by, you see more and more and hear more and more. And this is something where there is no right answer. And I want you to know that there is no right answer in the world of sports right now or in life itself. Some people may come up with something today that works for them. NASCAR has instituted such great things that maybe the NHL looks and says, let's do what NASCAR is doing. Or the NBA looks at NASCAR and says, how is that going well? There has to be a lot of discussion from league to league to see how you can do it as safely as possible. And whatever works, go with that. So that's what we have to do is have a lot of communication. You hear more and more, but you hope the leagues are working closer together to find out what's working and what's not working. But it is very interesting to hear that we're having teams coming back. That's so exciting to me because the NBA, of course, is going to be in Disney in that one environment. So we're going to have to deal with that. No fans to speak of for now, but that hopefully will be coming back soon. By the time we get to the fall here with college football and the NFL, as we hope things get back, hopefully they're going to have some plan in place that will allow fans, the majority of fans, to be able to witness, watch, support their favorite teams. Now, as it stands right now, if you ask me, do I expect full fans in the stands day one? Right now, I would say no under the current situation, but that is very fluid. And as I talked to a pastor uh, yesterday, he mentioned to me that his church is closed. He hopes it opens soon. And he said, you know what? This changes every day, every hour. You don't know from day to day, hour to hour, what's going to happen in terms of what may be in play yesterday might not be in play today and vice versa. And you're in a situation where things are so fluid, not only in the sports world, but in the church world and in the business world, that things are always changing. And every day we hope that different things are coming about to affect change so we can get back to the world of sports as we knew it. But right now, um, you're looking at some great news. I am so happy. I woke up today with such optimism. I'm looking at the job markets. I'm praying for the American people and pulling for them to have jobs uh, returning. They are. The stock market is going back up. You're excited about that. You're seeing glimmers of hope there on the business side in the world stage. And you hope the unity is starting to come together. People are starting to listen more. They're talking today all over the country in the media about the fact that folks are coming together, not being tone deaf, listening more, learning more. And folks, uh, you have to be able to open your mind to learning and to change. And we're seeing more things and you're hearing more things that you see such diversity in the protests and you're hoping and wondering if it's all going to happen. It's all going to pull forward and you're seeing great signs of that. So that's what I'm hopeful for is that we unify as a country. We're working on that. And then we get beyond this pandemic because it was only 80 some days ago, folks, if you recall the country in the greatest economic uh, stretch we've ever seen. And on top of that, heading into March Madness, it was just a great time. And, you know, I'm looking at that and I look now and I say, man, the world has changed so much over the last several months to the point where you can't even recognize it in so many ways. And I'm telling you right now, I've gone on record saying it. I was always grateful to be an American. I've always been grateful for everything I have. But I'm more grateful now at this point in my life than I've ever been for just the little things. To sit outside, to talk to somebody, to be able to give somebody a hug, to be able to enjoy people's company, your friends, your family, the people you can't get close to. Folks, the money's great. The material things are wonderful. I got a big car, a big house, a bigger house than you, a bigger car than you, more money than you. Folks, let's strip it all down and let's get this real. Let's keep it real. When all that stuff 
and I call it stuff, doesn't mean a hill of beans. If you don't have people that care and love you and treat you well and people you look forward to, because at the end of the day, it's about friends. It's about family. It's about smiling and enjoying this thing we call life. And right now, a lot of the joy has been taken away, but it's coming back. And that's the exciting thing. I know here at Sports 106.1 and our company, Summit Media, has done such an amazing job. Uh, Bob Willoughby, our president, uh, head of the FeedRichmond.org and a campaign that we started and was done so well by everybody here and fed so many folks throughout our area. You see little things and and big things and, and feeding folks is such a big thing. And when Bob Willoughby and the folks here instituted this program, which is so well done, you look and you smile and you say, you know what? We didn't change the world. We didn't uh, change everybody in the world. But in this portion of the world, we made a difference. And when you have us making a difference and this company making a difference and other people making a difference, everybody, it adds up to a beautiful thing. So whatever you do out there, and I tell you all the time, if you donated a meal, if you donated blood, if you sent $5 or a dollar or whatever you could afford to anybody and you dropped off the, a meal or paper products to a neighbor or looked in on a veteran or called an older uh, senior and said, hey, you know what? How are you doing? If you do those things, you're a hero. You've made a difference. So look at yourself and say, you know what? Hey, I may not have been able to change the world, but I did something that helped someone. And if I could do that, it's something special. And so that's where I stand on this. And man, I'm just so excited today on this Friday. I want to tell you guys, things are changing. Things are getting better. It's not perfect. This world's not perfect. We're not perfect people. We're imperfect people trying to do our best, and we're going to pull this together. We're going to get better, get through this, and it's going to be a great future for all of us. I promise you that. And it all starts as things start to get underway back in the sports world. So excited. So that's my take. Hope you enjoy that. We are coming back. Uh, close this out. It's the Sports King on this Friday, and we will be right back after these messages. Hi, sports fans. This is Hall of Famer Andre the Hawk Dawson of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to a guy who hits a home run with every show. It's the Sports King with Jamie King on Sports 106.1. Sports King Nation, want to take part in the show? Here's your chance to call the studio line. 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it on this Friday. Ben Malin just said it, of course. Ben Malin, I'm going to go on record. I'll say this. I'll, I'll put it out there for him. A fan of Coors Light, a fan of Coors, a fan of uh, Coors of any variety. So, Coors, if you're listening, send him to Ben. He'll be a spokesman for you. I can guarantee you I can work out that deal. I do want to let you know, folks, uh, Ben has said, and he put it in the best way possible, he said, it's been a long week. And, boy, that's an understatement for so many people. And uh, it's something that we hope we're all turning the corner on. I do want to let you know, how far has the world come in terms of moving forward? Well, guess what? UFC 250, and this is going to be Saturday night, folks. How about this? The title match is the main event featuring two women again. Amanda Nunes, 19-4, against Felicia Spencer, 8-1. So 
the young lady from Brazil against the young lady from Canada. It's going to be an interesting. They are at the top of the ticket. So it's going to be an interesting battle there. So something to watch. Uh, you got some other uh, definite exciting matches as well on the undercard. So it's going to be something. And they're putting a lot of fights in there. UFC, another sport that hasn't got a lot of credit for all they've done. But they've put out a product that we enjoy watching. A situation, uh, some of these UFC battles or something else. I'm telling you what, the octagon. I used to wrestle many years ago. And people say, man, you know, it's not that long. Uh, wrestling for six minutes against a guy of equal strength or greater strength, it, it's brutal, folks. I'm telling you, it, it's a battle because when you're done those six minutes, it, it, it seems like a week in there. And if you're going three minutes or five minutes as they do in the UFC and you're fighting somebody and they're kicking you and they're punching you and they're, oh, my goodness, and then they get on top of you and uh, squeeze and try to you know do all the things to do to bend you and break you and whatever they can to try to submit you, I'm telling you what, these guys, I don't know what they're getting paid, but I'll tell you what, it is amazing in terms of the brutality. Uh, I saw a fight several weeks ago that I saw a guy take more beating than I've ever seen, and he just kept coming back. So, yes, these guys are super tough. Yes, they're, they're talented and they're super athletes, but I'll tell you what, that is one sport that whatever they're getting paid, they definitely earn it. I want to let you know, if you'd like to chime in the final minutes, 804-327-0888 is the number before we get out of here. The Patriots quarterback, Jarrett Stidham, I like this kid. I think there's an upside to him, of course, former Auburn quarterback. But he has taken a lead. Uh, he basically had a group of six teammates gathered at a private field for a workout recently, and he's been taking the lead in the locker room area, even though they're not in the locker room, but the locker room, the virtual locker room that they have where they're able to get together as far as players and have conversations. He's taken the lead on that. He has been somebody that's trying to keep the team together. And, uh, of course, Brian Horrier has also been present at these throwing sessions along with receivers Julian Edelman, Demir Board, uh, Bird, rather, Gunnar Oslowski, uh, easy for me to say, um, and uh, he's been working out, but Edelman and Stidham have been working well together, and it looks like uh, they're trying to maintain some type of rhythm. And Stidham's a guy, he's a smart guy, a bright guy. He's got a situation where he was a leader at Auburn. And while I'm not ready to anoint him a great one uh, in New England, I think the drop will not be as precipitous as people may think in New England. I think he's going to keep them in the mix. Now, he has to because Hoyer is behind him, and if he goes wrong or falters, Belichick will have a quick hook. You know that. But Stidham, I think, is steady enough. He makes good decisions. He runs well. He's a smart guy. Can I see him keeping them in the mix? Yes. Will he have a learning curve? Yes. Do I expect him to be Tom Brady-like? No. Do I expect him to be competitive? Yes. I think he'll keep them in the mix. I don't think he'll a playoff team. I don't think he'll get them there. Could be surprised, but I do think – he is going to be somebody to keep your eye on. He was a fourth-round pick from Auburn. He's been visible throughout the New England com community. He and his wife, Kennedy, donated 1,000 meals to children recently and families at a local YMCA. So he's doing great things in the community. He's trying to uh, get himself out there. And he's a good guy from all discussions with people that know him. He is a leader. And so Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback now for the New England Patriots, boy, that sounds funny just even saying that. But he's a guy you got to keep your eye on. I think New England is really going to be in good care with him. Now, whether or not he has a long leash, that remains to be seen. We don't know how that's going to work in terms of how much latitude he has to get that team where you know he wants to take them. If he falters, and let's say they go, you know, 
four and four, three and three out of the gate. Does Belichick continue to let him stay there? Uh, does he pull him out and put Hoyer in and go with a veteran and basically say, we're going to get a guy out here that uh, has a little more experience? Or do you basically say, you know, we're going to let him go? So uh, that's a situation we're going to monitor as far as the New England Patriots. Hey, folks, it's the end of the week. It's a fantastic Friday here as things start to heal as far as a nation, we're starting to see some great things there, and we're hopeful for that and more and more. We hope there's no major unrest this weekend, and we hope you have a nice weekend wherever you're at. And, uh, of course, uh, think of your family, your friends, and your loved ones. And, of course, uh, say a prayer that everybody heals in this situation because we all want to get through this and be better for it. And I know we can. Also, we saw today the jobs report coming back. So folks that are unemployed out there looking for work, uh, Please check your uh, one ads because they're saying more and more jobs are becoming available as time goes on and people are understanding how to get people back in the workforce. Excited about that. And the stock exchange, things are coming up there. Seeing some great numbers today early, so that's another great thing. And uh, most of all, we're hearing the sports world is returning in some form and fashion. Of course, the NBA, NHL, nothing for Major League Baseball. Once again, we hope something can happen. I've, I've pinpointed that July 4th is the time. It would be perfect to have baseball that day. would mean so much. But right now, it seems like it's not even a possibility. We will keep you updated on that on the uh, Sports King Show. want to let you know that uh, Dr. Lenise Bias, Len Bias's mom, uh, said the week of the 15th she'll be on the show uh, in that week, I'll give you more details. Excited to talk to her about the late, great Lenny Bias, one of my all-time favorites, and uh, such a tragedy there as well. But, folks, uh, as we close out this weekend, week, I want to let you know, as Ben said, it's been a long week, but I want to let you know you guys have done an amazing job staying positive, staying supportive, and looking out for one another. All of you that have donated blood and food and looked out on neighbors and uh, just given everything you have, remember all those frontline folks, the doctors, the nurses, the frontline folks, EMTs, the people that deliver food, the people that serve food, the people that are doing everything they can to get us back to normal. Thank them when you can. Folks, you know, the attitude of gratitude, I talk about it all the time, but if we have that attitude of gratitude and thank people, hey, a smile doesn't cost anything, but it means everything. And just be kind to one another. Remember, you know, your smile and your positivity can lead somebody out of a dark day into a bright day. And it's one of those things where uh, an old country uh, broadcaster that owned a radio station, Cousin Ray Wolfenden, he said one time on his radio show, he always said it every day, if you're going to be blue, be bright blue. Encourage people, lift people up. That's what it's all about. So that's going to wrap it up. Of course, Big Al Sports Phone, Monday morning, 8 to 10 live. I follow 10 to 12. And then Jim Rome immediately after me. For Ben Maitland, I'm Jamie King, the Sports King. We'll see you back here Monday for another edition of Sports King.